You are listening to Preaching and Teaching on the Man of God Network of Podcasts. This resource combines expositional sermons and lectures from the classroom of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary to help equip listeners for the work of the ministry. Why do we need to study the doctrine of the law? Well, because our doctrine of the law informs our theology, the rest of our theology, right? Systematic theology is not isolated silos of unrelated information. It's a spider web, and when you flick one doctrine, it sends shockwaves through the other doctrines. So when you mess with the law of God, you're messing with your view of God Himself. right? If the law is a reflection of God's perfect moral uprightness, and you're messing with the reflection, you're going to screw up your picture, your understanding of God's moral uprightness. That's a big deal. It informs our doctrine of sin. Right? If you don't know what the standard of righteousness is, then you cannot know what unrighteousness is. John says in 1 John that sin is lawlessness. So we got to know what law is to know what lawlessness is. That's important, right? So pastorally, I'm going to do little things like this throughout the class. Pastorally, if... Gosh, I don't know how many times I've seen something like this. There... A girl comes to you and she's, you know, you're talking, you've been really had a good relationship in church, and then all of a sudden, like things get really cold. What's, what's going on? And you're thinking, like, I don't, I, didn't, I don't think I did anything, right? And you finally come up and say, Did I offend you? She says, I posted three pictures yesterday and you didn't like one of them. How dare you? not like my Instagram post. Say, well, I'm sorry, but like, is, did I sin against you? Is there a law that says I have to like every post of every church member that I happen to have? Right? No. That's, she's added a new law. Right? That's a new namas. She's made a new law. We have to know what the law says if we want to know what's actually sin. And actually... The sharper our understanding of law, we skip to letter D there, the clearer our understanding of Christian liberty. Right? If I know what God requires of me very clearly, then I can know how to be free from the consciences of men. I can say, not, I, like, I can appreciate your preferences on this issue, but I'm not bound by that. I live in the South. There's a whole bunch of people that are complete teetotalers. They don't touch alcohol. Totally fine with that. My father is, to this day, an alcoholic. I'm very sympathetic to that position. But I am in no way going to preach from the pulpit about how it's a sin to drink. Churches in our area do that. But I'm not going to do that. Because I'm not going to impinge my conscience and what might be my preference upon other people. I'm making a new law at that point. Why study the law and the gospel? Well, it informs our doctrine of Christ, right? 
Christ, Christus, Messiah, Messiah, anointed one. He was sent at the appropriate time, born under the law to redeem us from the law. Right? What, is, what does all that mean? If you don't know what the law is, you don't know what his mission was. And you don't know what his obedience was that was imputed to us. Obedience to what? To what law? Right? To what end? So some people might say, why study the law and conversely the gospel? I, I don't hear many theologians talk about this. Maybe you do. Maybe you're like neck deep, eyeballs deep in the, the Reformed Baptist world and they talk about law and gospel all the time. Some people aren't. And in evangelicalism broadly, when you start talking about the law and the gospel, unless they're PCA, their eyes often like glaze over, like, what are you talking about? Or they'll think, well, that means justification. And that's the extent of law and gospel's relevance, right? Or they'll think, well, law was Old Testament, gospel's New Testament. And that's the depth of their understanding. And then they get really confused when they start trying to read parts of Scripture. So like, no, this is not something new. In fact, church history is full of theologians that would agree. Luther says that knowing the difference between the law and the gospel is the height of knowledge in Christendom. Beza, Calvin's protege, his successor, says that ignorance of the distinction between the law and the gospel is one of the principal sources of all the abuses which corrupt and still corrupt Christianity. That is absolutely true today. Right? So if you... Um, most of the debate surrounding social justice, whatever, and I'm not picking a side on that, but most of the debates surrounds how you define and apply law and gospel. Imprecision about law and gospel leads to all sorts of train wreck issues on that topic alone. Theonomy, the new perspective on Paul, federal vision, right? You don't know what those are, they're problems. The, those things are all stem from a flawed understanding of law and gospel. John Newton says, clearly to understand the distinction, connection, and harmony between the law and the gospel and their mutual subserviency to illustrate and establish each other is a singular privilege and a happy means of preserving the soul from being entangled by the errors on the right or the left. So knowing how they talk to one another, the law and the gospel, how they serve to support and bolster, how the confession says they sweetly comply with one another. Guard you. It's your guardrail to keep you on the road from running off either side of the ditches. Charles Bridges says, and this is for the, the pastor particularly, he says, the mark of a minister approved unto God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, is that he rightly divides the word of truth. And this revelation is divided into two parts, the law and the gospel. They are essentially distinct, but intimately connected, and the knowledge of neither can be obtained without the other. So if you endeavor to only study the law, you'll screw up the gospel. If you study only the gospel, you screw up the law. In fact, to truly study one or the other means you're studying both. Right? 
Because the law, as I will argue later, is graciously given to us. And it, one of its ends is that we would be driven to Christ for the gospel. And the gospel assumes a moral standard that Christ has obeyed and our sanctification to that moral standard. They are intimately connected. Spurgeon, I won't read that whole thing, but he says there's no point upon which men make greater mistakes in the relations that exist between the law and the gospel. Some put the law ahead of the gospel, others put the gospel ahead of the law. Some modify one or the other and therefore preach neither. Right? This is so true today. I heard this, I heard this in seminary, right? Um, the law and the gospel are not merely abstract doctrines. They're related to our hermeneutics. They're hermeneutical, or integral part of our hermeneutical framework. And they need to be on the front edge of our mind as we're trying to minister in our churches. All the time. All the time. They need to be relevant. And as we'll get to towards the end, when I start trying to talk about law and preaching, doctrinal clarity and precision about the law and about the gospel is necessary, but that alone is insufficient. Right? We need to have gracious pastoral hearts and spirits to apply the law and the gospel in a way that best serves our sheep. There are some wonderful preachers in America that can preach the law like a sledgehammer. They can shatter you open. And then they, they don't well handle the gospel. And that If you sit under that for years, that makes you hard. That makes you... Well, it either makes you depressed because you can't keep the law, or it makes you a Pharisee because you think you can. That's the two ditches. And preaching the law and the gospel with precision, I will argue, is the key to slicing open the heart with the law, carving out accurate, not with a sledgehammer, but with a scalpel, and then applying the gospel precisely to that. I'll give you an example. We'll talk about examples of that. I think that is crucial because we're wired kind of with a legality. I'll, I'll flesh that out later. I'm not going to talk about it now. So, Machen said, um, I think this comes out of a very similar statement is in his Christianity and Liberalism. He says, what we need today is preachers of the law. We've lost it. He's arguing against liberalism about 100 years ago. And that book is exceedingly relevant even today. If you've never read it, Christ J. Gresham Machen, Christianity and Liberalism. It's not long. It's about this big. It's very readable. And it is so relevant today. But he says, A new and more powerful proclamation of that law is perhaps, that's God's law, is perhaps the most pressing need of the hour. Men would have so little difficulty with the gospel if they had only learned the lesson of the law. And so it always is, and this is so astute. A low view of the law brings legalism. A high view of the law makes a man seek after grace. Right? That's counterintuitive. We think if you talk about law, if you preach law, if you press law in your counseling room, you're going to produce legalists. All they're concerned about is the law. And no, 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 no. If you preach the law and you preach it right, you're preaching people that are just glowing with the grace of Christ. Right? Because if you're preaching it right, 
you're not producing Pharisees that are self-righteous. If you're preaching the law right, you're preaching people that are broken and humble. And they're warmed by the love of Christ received in the gospel. And they are compelled by love to follow Him in obedience to that law. They're not driven by duty, right? We all know mentally, I was a sinner, Christ saved me, now it's my duty, it's my job to keep the law. Well, that is true. But if that's the only way you preach the law in obedience to the law, you're going to have people kind of marching like soldiers. I know I'm supposed to keep the law. Like, no, 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 no. That's why we preach with precision. And then hopefully be compelled by love. Love to Christ. Gratitude for the grace found in redemption. To strive after holiness in accordance with His law. That's the... That's coming from the tradition of the, uh, the Marrow men. If you've ever heard about the Marrow controversy, if you've ever read Sinclair Ferguson's The Whole Christ or Edward Fisher's The Marrow of Modern Divinity, that's a, a big impulse coming out of them. And I'll, I'll, we'll talk more about that later. Um, important, important stuff. So, recommended resources on law and the gospel. John Cahoon. Um, he wrote his treatise on law and the gospel, very precise, very helpful, um, not, not a super page turner. So eat your Wheaties uh, if you want to read that one. Uh, it's very good. Uh, Fairburn, I already mentioned him, Ernst Kevin. Stephen Ting gave lectures on law and the gospel. He's a little more readable, I think. He's a little newer than um, John Cahoon. And so... Um, he also, Stephen Ting, so both uh, Cahoon and Ting, uh, their lectures on law and gospel, there's not a ton of pastoral application. It's more of a doctrinal treatise on the issue. And Steve, Stephen Ting also wrote a book called The Christian Pastor, His Office and Duty. It's four lectures he gave in Boston, I think, on kind of reflecting upon 40 or 50 years of pastoral ministry. And it's, it shows a lot of, it, it's him telling a lot of stories from his time in ministry. And you see kind of the fruit of his law and gospel theology fleshed out. It's a real short book. It's an easy read. I recommend that to you. The Christian Pastor, His Office and Duty. Very good. Also, Ross is from the finger of God. Very good on law and gospel. So, moving into our study. Uh, I'd like to just lay out a few presuppositions. Um, if I also, if I write something on the board, you might want to note that. Hint, hint. Also, um, yeah. So I've already written the exam. So pay attention when I tell you to pay attention to something. Um, but these presuppositions are important. These presuppositions are important. So I'm presuming the divine authorship of Scripture, right? I'm not going to defend inerrancy to you. You can take that in another class, I'm sure. I'm going to assume that. Um, and because there is a divine author to Scripture, I'm going to assume that when the beginning of Scripture was being written, he already knew about what was going to be at the end. Right? So there is pregnant within the beginning of the Bible stuff that we don't really get to fully understand until later in the Bible. 
Barcellus has his little token phrases. If you have, how many of you have had Barcellus's hermeneutic? Oh, okay, okay. You know what? Later, later revelation makes explicit what was implicit in antecedent revelation, or something, something like that. Um, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. He just uses bigger words. So Genesis is full of stuff that we don't get the full understanding of until the New Testament, right? Exodus. Deuteronomy, the Mosaic Covenant as a whole, has stuff built into it that we're not quite sure how it's all going to flesh out until later. Right? The threefold division of the law may not be on page one of the Mosaic Covenant, but it makes sense in light of Christ and His work. Right? So this is important. The organic unity of Scripture These uh, several of these presuppositions are coming from Waldron's lectures on or his his book on the Lord's Day, so you can read more on them there. Um, I'm going to presume and slightly defend throughout the class. Uh, number two, the fundamental continuity of the law of God. Right. So there there are vestiges of what's now we could consider classical dispensationalism out there that will have radical discontinuities between the Old and the New Testament. And um, I think there's lots of problems with that. And um, I'm going to assume there is fundamental continuity. If the law is a reflection of God's holiness and God is immutable, then that reflection is immutable, right? So I'm going to bring a little bit of doctrinal precision to that because, you know, we, we want to be precise. But in general, that's a pretty solid syllogism right there. God doesn't change. Holiness doesn't change. The law doesn't change. Um, oh, look, I said that. Let's see. It doesn't mean that there's no change, right, as we'll get to in the next lecture, but fundamental continuity. And then next, I'm going to assume that the Old Testament law is perpetual until it's abolished. And that's a different presupposition. The New Covenant guys say, no, everything's abolished unless it's repeated in the New. That's a different hermeneutic, right? And then you, so well, why do I assume that? Why do I assume that Old Testament law is perpetual unless it's clearly abolished? Well, things like uh, 1 John says, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, right? Or when you read uh, New Testament lists from the apostles, they're listing out behaviors that are against the Ten Commandments. Where are they drawing this list of ethical constraints? Right? No, they're, they're pulling it from the law. And we'll talk more about this when we get to Romans. But there's several passages. You see some of them listed out there. Um, that the New Testament assumes there's not a fundamental shift in the standard of righteousness. There's a change in the priesthood, and that changes how we worship. There's a change in the, the nature of the, the visible body of Christ and how that body regulates itself. But the standard of morality hasn't changed. So before we jump into the next lecture on 
natural law, creation, the fall. Do I have any questions about anything I've talked about thus far? No, either either edition's fine. Yeah, it's uh, I might have it. Let's see. It's in the car. I'll bring it out later. Yeah, either edition's fine. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Preaching and Teaching, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. To learn more, visit cbtseminary.org.